Welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. I'm your host Deepak Sharma and on this podcast I chat with leaders from all walks of life to discuss their journey, the lessons they've learned and advice they have so we can all level up our health, wealth and happiness. You see, I'm obsessed with the idea that we should be striving to realize our potential with the one life that we have. Let's not overcomplicate it because it's not that deep. Today's episode is brought to you by Podcast Foundations. Since beginning my podcasting journey, I get tons of messages from friends asking about what kind of equipment I should use, how to land great guests, how to grow a podcast, and so much more. So I decided to answer all of these in my favorite style of learning, an online course. Head over to www.podcastfoundations.com and scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, leave your email to be notified when it's live. This week's guest is Nolan Beanlands, Executive Director at Capital Angel Networks, a group of accredited angels in the Ottawa Gatineau region that facilitate investment opportunities for startups. Capital Angel Networks has invested well over $20 million in over 100 early stage companies, many of which Nolan has worked with personally to help secure millions of dollars in funding and sales. Nolan is extremely passionate about the Ottawa startup ecosystem and has extensive experience helping companies secure funding and mentorship. He also previously ran the Startup Garage at the University of Ottawa, the Founder Institute, and ID Gatineau. We had an incredible conversation about entrepreneurship in Ottawa, what kind of startups are investable, what it takes to become an accredited investor, and some of the lessons he's learned from some of the impressive companies he's worked with. If you enjoy my content, why not help take this podcast to the next level? If you're on an iPhone right now, leave me a five-star rating and review in the Apple Podcast app today. Every bit counts. Enjoy today's episode and just remember, it's not that deep. Nolan Beanlands, welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. We, uh, we've been trying to schedule this for a little while now. We finally found this nice little spot. Yeah. It's nice and quiet. It's, uh, it's great to finally sit beside you. I was going to say across yeah, yeah, from yeah. you, but it's good to finally chat, man. Yeah, good, good. Um, you, for those who don't know, you are the executive director at Capital Angel Network, yeah. a not-for-profit organization of angel investors who've helped over 60 businesses um, generate $35 million in funding since 2009. I'm not sure if those numbers have changed. Yeah, but... they're up now. We're, we're very close to 100. Uh, That's we're, at, we're at 92 at the start of... Uh of 2020 uh, and usually we hit about 10 a year so we're absolutely on on track to to hit that but uh, with COVID it's slow or our new investments have slowed down a little bit I think we're may still get there by the end of the year but uh, that's will be to be to be determined at this point well congrats man on your success already so far with that I had a feeling those numbers would be out of date yeah. so <laughs> happy to hear that uh, you've also previously um, ran uh, the University of Ottawa Startup Garage program, as well as Founder Institute. Um, it seems like you have a lot of experience in this space of, you know, startups and, and helping uh, accelerating businesses at the very beginning of their career. Why don't we start by uh, asking uh, or telling people what your mission is? What's your mission with all these different things that you've done? Ooh, that is a pretty, pretty deep question right off the bat. <laughs> but... Uh, no, I think so. From from a personal standpoint, uh, I, you know, for from my life situation, we're we're set up in Ottawa here for a long period of time. Me right. and my family, um, I grew up here as well, so I'm very attached to the community. So um, I want to continue the mission that many other people have been doing as well to make Ottawa a wonderful place to build and grow a business. 
Um, I've really enjoyed being part of all of these different programs and, uh, and initiatives because I find learning about the world through the eyes of entrepreneurs is a really inspiring thing to do. Um, I can share a little bit more, but I definitely stumbled into this world. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a linear path uh, right. to get there, but uh, I've certainly enjoyed being a part of this ecosystem. I think it's a fantastic one, and I want to do my part in advancing it and, and continuing to make sure great companies uh, are started and continue to grow here and have the ability to uh, become global companies based out of uh, my hometown. That's awesome, man. There's so much to like talk about right there alone, but starting with the Ottawa connection, you know, it's near and dear to your heart, it sounds like. And, you know, this city often gets a reputation, as you heard me say before on the podcast, of, you know, it being a boring government town. We, we have that, that, that reputation, that stench that, hey, everyone here either works in the government at some level or for, you know, um, you know, a big bureaucratic organization of some sort. So what was it really about like startups in particular and like new budding uh, businesses and helping entrepreneurs that like, like, you know, you had to scratch that itch yourself? Yeah. So uh, like I said, I, I stumbled on in, into this a little bit more. Um, than most where, where there's a lot of entrepreneurs or you can tell they've been entrepreneurs intentionally or unintentionally from, from a very young age. Yeah. I've always been interested in innovation and new technology, but uh, even going back, I've always found myself broadly interested in a lot of topics. Mm. Um, even when I did study, uh, I studied engineering in my undergrad, um, I chose a program that was actually touched in a lot of different areas because in, you know, 17 year old me picking a, a university program, I didn't want to just be an electrical engineer or a chemical engineer. Uh, I wanted to have to continue learning about a lot of uh, a lot of topics and working in these ex from accelerators to with the with the angel group, I get to learn about all types of businesses and all types of industries. And there are very few roles that are designed as a as a generalist role this way yeah. um and i found that's that's really what i wanted to do uh i but it was very hard for me to pinpoint how i could do that especially as a as a new grad the the first opportunity that i really had to do that was working at the university of ottawa um in the technology transfer office okay. where their role is really commercializing the intellectual property that is developed at the university and that's across all faculties at the university so we're dealing with with biotech, we're dealing with civil engineering, we're dealing with um, uh, electronics and and all types of material science. And so, so there's a, a huge range of knowledge that is needed. And that was something that my degree being a fair, fairly broad um, initial undergrad degree allowed me to apply that knowledge and that experience a little bit more broadly. Right. But then through that, um, that office they also ran the early stage entrepreneurship program and i discovered kind of a new type of innovation or a, a new way to be innovating and rather than you know deep research from a university um but much more along the lines of of new venture creation and and i think it certainly helped at the time that i was a fairly recent grad a lot of the entrepreneurs themselves are in their early 20s or they're in undergrad or in a master's program so from a demographic standpoint it was much i was much more it was much more relatable for me to be working with those those companies and then through that program i immersed myself into the ottawa startup community and i really loved it and that's i've you know i found my community there and that's that's something i had also i'd say i've been searching for 
since high school. I really enjoyed my, my time in high school. In undergrad, I, I think I struggled to find a true community to be a part of. Okay. And there was a big gap in time where I, I, I missed that and this kind of startup community that I have now been a part of and, and, and continue enjoying being a part of uh, was one that I, that I really enjoyed uh, first discovering and now immersing myself into. That's really interesting how, you know, you kind of kept things open and you wanted to kind of have a breadth of understanding and knowledge of a bunch of different areas, you know, with engineering, which like, you know, right when I hear engineering, I, I right away think of depth, like someone wants to become the expert at mechanical or whatever, you know, those, right. those ones that you're and talking I, and about. And I'll be honest, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as intentional. I think it was subconsciously I wanted to be a generalist, but practically I wanted to be employed. Um, and I realized around my third and fourth year that I was very unemployable because okay. although I you know, took many courses in electrical engineering, mm -hmm. the electrical engineering student is still going to beat me out for a job because they've got so much more expertise and rightly right. so. Mm -hmm. um, so I was looking for roles more in sales or consulting or something that you needed this kind of generalist arc. That's what it. I thought right away when you said that is like consulting. Right. That's usually the, right. and, and, the field and, that a lot of people get pushed into. Yes, and I, and I went pretty deep with a couple organizations in, in interviews and, and almost completely went down that, down that route. Yeah. And, uh, and it could have been a, I may have ended up here, I may, I may not have. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate and, and, and feel very happy that I've found, found my community that, right. that I've, that's really encouraged me to excel. Uh, even though myself not really ever being an entrepreneur, which is something that I've, I've personally been, I think I was more self-conscious of earlier on in, in my career in this, in this community, yeah. uh, but realizing that I've, I found a way to turn it into an asset um, for, for my own sake. Well, why don't we talk about that a bit? Because that's definitely something that, you know, when you're entrenched in this community of people who, right. you know, are self-identified and are entrepreneurs right but you're still in a position at a non-profit right you know there has to be a little bit of that at the beginning like well you know i'm helping these entrepreneurs secure funding get get everything going but i am not like exactly an entrepreneur or do you see it differently is there is like because i don't know i'm not familiar with the right. role at all so so, and again, the other buzzword is like an intrapreneur, right? Mm, so someone that, yep. who acts in an entrepreneurial way within a large organization. A and there are certainly yeah. um, a wider population of people who, who are like that, um, who don't like the bureaucracy or who don't like this um, very different uh, things that are so robust and, and are a little bit more creative and, and think on their feet and try to act in a lean fashion. Um, and so I sometimes associate myself with that but not all the time. Um, with respect to not being an entrepreneur, I think it's understanding, uh, just being very aware of that and knowing that, respecting that generally the entrepreneur themselves are the expert in their business. Right. Or they, they, know, they should know their customer. And I think it's a big red flag for me if I think I can run someone's business better mm -hmm. than they can. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not supposed to be the expert. I, I could understand the market a bit more. So that's usually someone that I'm not keen will be successful. Um, whereas there are a lot of people who come from different backgrounds and, and there's a reason or a question that we always ask usually in a pitch is, you know, why you? Why are you the person to build this business? Because most of the time, unless there is a lot of deep technology involved, many of these ideas and business models could have existed two, three, five years ago, 
given the current status of, of most technology. So why hasn't existed? What have you figured out? Why is the timing right? Et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think from my own perspective in not being an entrepreneur is, I guess the, the other layer to understand is just be really empathetic. Right. I think a lot of the time uh, people don't, people who aren't entrepreneurs don't understand what it's like to, you know, put your entire life on hold for mm -hmm. something. I think there's uh, there's the challenge of, you know, people not being empathetic of, you know, what it's like to make payroll, uh, what it's like to deal with investors and customers and um, understanding that they're doing the hardest thing. The entrepreneurs are the ones who are really putting everything out there and respecting them above everything else. And again, there are certainly, just like in every group of people, there, there are entrepreneurs who, you know, aren't the best people or who are take advantage of this sort of um, rebellious nature. But for the most part, these are exceptional people who are the outliers in our society that will lift everyone up and lift entire communities up. And supporting them that way early on and showing them that level of respect, they usually give it back to you. And yeah. that's what I found extremely rewarding in becoming a part of this community and, and helping whether it is your job or not really your job mm -hmm. to do so um, is a great way to build trust. They definitely have their guards up, especially if it is a, even at the early stage, we'll call it a, a successful early stage entrepreneur who seems to be checking a lot of boxes, winning some, you know, the pitch competitions or getting some early investment. They, um, not to say that their ego goes up, but they, they're becoming a little bit more popular and I think our ecosystem is very good at promoting right. even those those companies that are at an early stage that may not warrant the hype yet um, but then there's a lot of people who try to leech off of that and and find a way to to take advantage of those particularly young entrepreneurs and so those they certainly have their guards up around people who who don't get it and finding a way to kind of break those walls down and connect with someone I think is is an important way to to engage at that stage. Well, that's huge, man. And and even from like the way you answered that question, I could tell you have a very high level of what you mentioned there, empathy, and really understanding exactly where these people are coming from. And, you know, whatever industry that is or, or that they're in or that they're trying to break into, it's really having that level of understanding that, hey, I am not running your business. Like, I'm not even trying to do that. Just trying to help you run it best. Right. And, and you know, giving you whatever you need or the opportunity to get whatever you need. Um, that, that's a huge thing. And that must be very fulfilling for you. So talk to me about that journey a little bit, how it's been going from, I guess, uh, uh, what were you calling it at uh, Ottawa? You were, it wasn't quite startup garage yet. It was, right. It was the technology transfer office. And, right. Uh, now I believe it's called innovation services. Okay. Um, and, and that office again continues to operate and, and, and do, and does a lot of great things for, for the university and, uh, and the community that way. But with the, the startup garage program, um, that, that I was a part of, uh, it was again, dealing with extremely early stage entrepreneurs, uh, for the most part. And frankly, I think it was a little bit of learning on the go. The first cohort I did, I really was was <laughs> learning the same thing. You know, I was in the sessions and training and taking just as many notes as the entrepreneurs were. You know, it's trying to stay a week ahead of the of the lessons, sort of. You know, it was yeah. almost like I was TAing a new <laughs> class that I hadn't I hadn't taken yet. And um, and over time, getting a better understanding of both the ecosystem and who is who and who wants to help and who can. Be helpful, understanding where 
they can get funding. And then having seen the journey of a dozen companies in one cohort, I could then you know replicate that uh, because a lot of the time it's the entrepreneurs care most of the early stages. Yes, they have to deal with their own customers and industries, and that's something that's harder to help with as uh, from a generalist side of things. But you can help steer them towards different funding and pitch competitions and opportunities. Yeah. So you know, seeing a company that had some success in in one cohort, you can try to replicate that with a few others, um, and you know, even going from companies that in certain verticals that you know might not go the the VC or angel route but are more of an e-commerce driven company and you know we'd have a couple of those every year and trying to match those entrepreneurs with the next generation and and seeing how that was always a, a helpful cycle to to be a part of and and trying to get us to know as many people within the ecosystem and how and keeping the those you know the one generation of entrepreneurs connected with the next one right so it sounds to me like a lot of your role has to do with kind of pointing people in the right direction once they make it into the program. But how do you, how does one like how does an entrepreneur or a business uh, even apply to to get funding or get help right. within within um, uh, the the platform? Right. So so on from startup garage side again, that's my my, my previous role uh, that was focused on student primarily. You Ottawa student. Yeah. Um, uh, either students or recent grads right. who are starting a business who are relatively early stage. Yeah. Uh, they have an annual application process. Uh, even yesterday, I was helping out with the, the most recent cohort. They were showing me their, their pitches. And um, yeah, they're doing the, this late, latest cohort's a, a pretty strong one. They've got a lot of good companies. At, at, given that I know the stage and, and previous cohorts of, of where the companies usually are, they've definitely got some some good potential um, and companies that are already launched and rolling and have some revenue and um, and so so that uh, so that cycle I guess is coming to an end for that program right now and the applications usually open up uh, at the start of every year okay um, so so that's for startup garage for um, the capital angel network we operate on a roughly monthly cycle where we do have um, member meetings or, or pitch nights uh, where a pre-selected uh, amount of companies usually it's about three new companies that we look at um, obviously we're doing everything over zoom right now so yeah. it's a little less fun um, but it's still working the the, the angels are still investing and mm -hmm. the, the, the process is still you know we, we still have a product ourselves and it's great to see that the the angels are still leaning in despite not having a bit of that that personal connection exactly. that you can kind of get um, in getting to know a, a founding team and so you can always apply online. There's a link on our website on capitalangels.ca. Yep. Typically though, I recommend that they connect with me so that I can do a bit of filtering of figuring out if they should be applying for funding now, if they should be applying for funding a little bit later mm -hmm. in their journey, or if they shouldn't be applying for funding at all. Right. And I think that's one of the misconceptions that I, I do still try to project is that most companies aren't set up to be angel invested or VC backed. You see a lot of PR about those companies, so I think a, most entrepreneurs that just look from the outside, it looks like that's the only path to success. Well, yeah, they watch Dragon's Den and they watch Shark Tank and right. they think this is how right. business and, works. And <laughs> you read and you read TechCrunch and you read, you know, even in the in the OBJ, which you know is a great promoter of our of our companies and our, our stories. Um, but there are a lot, there are tons of businesses that are completely bootstrapped that that do fantastically well on their own, yeah. and and that's okay. Uh, I think there's there's a bit of a stigma of you know being part of uh, receiving investment as this big you know 
um, stamp of approval. Mm. And I think it helps. But really what you're saying every time you receive funding is just here's an opportunity to execute on your goals mm. and on your plans. And um, usually the factor that limits a lot of companies is that for angel investing to work, you need these kind of outlier hyper growth companies for to, the angels themselves need those returns to make up for all the losses that are because a lot of companies are they're going to invest in are not going to make any money or going to lose they're going to lose their money so they need these outliers so every company when they're making the initial investment has to have that potential of this hyper growth yeah so if it's a nice company that's growing you know 100 percent year over year you know nicely bootstrapped that's usually not the path for this exponential success um and so that's that's really something that a lot of entrepreneurs need to understand and be okay with. And that's that's sort of why I try to engage and, and steer them to the right time. It's also so they're not engaging with our group too early in the process. Right. And it's not ruining a reputation or, or a relationship, but um, just wasting both their own time and the angels' times. And so that when they do engage, it's really at the best time for both the investor and the entrepreneur. So one of the best things they can do there is connect with you and kind of get that that feel and obviously go through the eligibility criteria on the right. website, right? Yes. Which, which generally speaking, if like obviously don't go through the fine details, but like what are so, what are some of those generally speaking? Right. To make so a, a good company generally for for angel investment. So, um, like I said, it's got to have the potential for a kind of a ten times or more return. So okay. if they're raising money at a at a three to five million dollar valuation you have to believe that in a period of time that company could be worth north of 30 million dollars right and if it's really not gonna if there isn't that growth trajectory within you know a seven year period then it just doesn't make sense oh wow not anyone. even like 10 15. It's well like, we'll say we'll we say want... seven yeah well that's the most optimistic <laughs> yeah, yeah there yeah. are certainly right angel investments that take 10 15 yeah. 17 years to return mm-hmm. um but at least optimistically when you're the, the best case, if the best case isn't there, right. um, then it doesn't really work out very well. Well, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that, like, you know, they, the mindset there is, like, you want one big winner, and then it kind of makes up for the losers. Right. What's that, like, I know you can't really answer this question, but generally speaking, what's the breakdown on that? Like, how many, just from your experience and, right. and, and from being entrenched in this world, how many of these kinds of businesses that do end up get getting funding not not work out not be successful. right so well so and within our portfolio and which is very ottawa based and let's say we're approaching 100 companies so from that sample size um we've got uh we've had eight or nine exits and that's varying from you know a, a one and a half x to i think a 13 x is our, our highest one so that's also part of the challenge too is that the 13x certainly returns a lot of your most of your losses if not all of them uh, a 3x is good but doesn't fully return the portfolio. you need another winner or two to really make up for the for yeah. the other losses yeah um so just under 10 percent have exited successfully um we've got about 14 companies that are completely dead probably about another five to ten that are i'd call walking dead where they're they still exist the company yeah. operates but it's unlikely that they will provide even a 1x return. Okay. Um, but the company is, is, is still running and running a business and, and employing people, which is still a benefit to the, the economy and the ecosystem. Right. Um, then we've got, again, we'll say 20% that have just, you know, 
been and they're re fairly recent in their fundraising, so really haven't gone up or down. And uh, the remainder, and then probably another 15%, and maybe I'm not adding these numbers up <laughs> correctly, 15% have gone and raised their next round, so more of their seed. So, okay. that, you know, there's an increase in valuation, there's more investors have come in, there's been a positive progress that way, and then probably another 15% have really gone, call it a Series A round and beyond, so that's a, a significant upgrade on the valuation right. and, uh, and continue to grow. Um, beyond that that's it's really cool that these are like like for me growing up in ottawa like these are ottawa companies even though you know we're looking at you know relatively small sample size but still very big impact it's cool to see that and even the the failures or, or the ones who didn't make it right it's cool to see that there are that many um entrepreneurs in this city who did even take that risk who did get that far and, and like to me that's actually that's a that's a net positive that's that. That's still a good thing. Yes, and and you can still see that. Yes, even though the companies that did fail, many of them start, have started another business. Exactly. Right? They, they they live and they learn. Yep. And and for the most part, the angels are are forgiving about it. They understand that this is how it works. Yeah. If you get into angel investing and you get really uh, sorry, and there's a way to, you know, uh, not be successful. There's you can fail more gracefully. Some fail more gracefully yeah. than others. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're crashing and burning. Right. And yeah. So there's 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 a there's a certain way to handle it. So it's yeah. not that it's all completely always forgiven, but certainly most of the companies that have not been successful, those individuals, if anything, they've learned things. They've used the capital that we that our group invested to to hire people and create jobs, even yeah. for a a short period of time or or sometimes it's a four or five year period and it just it doesn't pan out yeah. um what might be interesting too is many of the failures range in terms of stages okay it, it doesn't necessarily just because you make it series a or series b stage doesn't necessarily mean that um that you've you've made it companies you know continue to have challenges at every stage of growth absolutely um so so that's another kind of element to it that that's not as known and again, I'd say you're impressed with the number of companies. This is over almost just over a 10 year period of time. Too. Exactly. And, yeah. and there's still also a number of companies our group didn't invest in that were started and had success. And, and exactly. And yeah. Like that. Yeah. And that's what's exciting to me. You know, it's like there might have been I don't know the numbers, but like, let's say 10,000 people like businesses applied over this this whole term, you know, and out of the hundred, it's still cool to see that there were in investable companies, ideas born here in a city where that's not always the forefront of what people think their, their options are right. uh, for, for their career, for their life, for their business. So I think that that's really interesting right there. And then um, one of the questions I want to ask is, what is like the criteria to become an, an angel investor? Like what, at what point do you become an angel investor? Like what, right. what, what makes that right from so just an uh, everyday fr investor to fr from a high level, from a legal perspective, um, all of our members have to be accredited investors right. so that they have a certain level of income or wealth. Okay. Um, I can list those off if that's helpful. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, good. so in terms of income, it's either two hundred thousand dollars in terms of sal annual salary, or three hundred thousand combined with your spouse. Okay. And then uh, either one million in in liquid assets, okay. um, and, or five million dollars in total assets. Cool. So wow. so it's still so, and at least again, even in a city like Ottawa, like a three hundred 
$1,000 combined salary with a spouse, that's certainly a, a pretty- It's doable. It's, it's a doable floor. Yeah. It, typically though, um, the way the angel ecosystem, or the angel investor ecosystem is set up, you have to have a bit more money than that, or it's, it's easier to be investing if you have a fair bit more liquidity to right. be deploying. And uh, rather than if you've, you know, you're just at $301,000 in income uh, for a household and you know, lots of that's going to taxes, it's, it's hard to just throw, not, and again, not throw away, but, but invest a $25,000 check into a company um, that you might not see any money ever or yeah. a return for seven to 10 to 14 years time. That's really interesting. So, so that's so that's the that's the legal answer. Like I said, there's usually a certain bar that you want to be above. The unspoken number between both the entrepreneurs and the investors usually is that per individual investor they'll invest about twenty five thousand dollars per company. Okay. And this is kind of this magic number of large enough for the entrepreneur to be. It's worth courting them if they're raising you know a two hundred fifty thousand or five hundred thousand dollar round, and on the um, uh, on the investor side, it's small enough that most investors have enough capital to di diversify into a lot of companies. Right. Right. So if they, if the angel investor strategy is really just to invest in one or two companies, they might want to put larger checks in and get a bit more involved. And, and we've seen that style as well uh, within our network. But typically, people are writing 25k or 50k checks uh, to be investing. So um, that's that's in terms of the the money and the capability that way. Um, you can always, if you don't have that amount of, uh, if you aren't legally accredited, you can always invest in yeah, kind of friends and family rounds. So if there's people you know, and that's typically the minimums are, are lower there, whether it's 5K or 10K, they'll kind of take whatever they can yeah. um, to, to start dabbling a little bit. You can also um, uh, look to be an advisor within companies. And, okay. and a lot of early stage companies need help Need then, and it's a way to give up your time necessarily if it's particularly in a domain that you you know have some expertise in, right? Uh, you know, someone like who who's a professor at a university who has a lot of expertise, right? Makes 170k a year, and you know doesn't have that kind of deployable liquidity. Yeah. Um, but he's got the knowledge. Got, they've got, got the, the knowledge and the interest to be entrepreneurial. Yeah. That's a good way to start, and and that's something that you can easily just like angel investing, spread your advice across a few companies, right. get yourself involved there, and um, and earn some some good money, or possibly a good return on even your time spent right. um, if the company is successful. And but again, that's, all, that's a really all, big point. all it takes is is one or two successes to really you know change someone's um, uh, status that way. Exactly, well. and it's super fulfilling as well for, for both parties. Like, it's almost like mentorship in that way. It's right. Like, you know what? Like me personally, I can I can speak from you know having uh, started my business, you know, less than six months ago, uh, and you know growing it and and learning a lot and wearing a million hats at once and trying to do too many things at at once. Right. You know, it is good sometimes for me to be able to call up some of my CEO buddies or some founders or investors or people I know who have done something like this right and just pick their brain yeah hey man how do you deal with this or hey like what like I've never had to deal with you know 
you know, splitting up equity and this and then doing this and having a shareholder right. agreement and doing these kinds of things. Like I've never done these things. And then legal, accounting, HR, just a million different things that you have to think about as the leader of a company. Right. So it's, it's very, um, it, that's a big point there is that like sometimes like, you know, as good as money is, as good as funding is, it's not the only metric or the only thing that makes a business, I think, successful. I think that, you know, obviously leadership is a very big part of it, but having the ability to get help you need in other forms as well. So that's been important for me. So um, kind of one of the next questions I wanted to ask you was, what are some, some things that you've seen in successful companies? What are some common patterns that you've seen that make them successful that you think, and obviously, it's hard to pinpoint one or two things, but generally speaking, a pattern of success, like companies that you've seen successful, whether you've worked with them or not, what is it that, that they have in common? Probably one, and again, my, you know, personally, I'm not an investor, but a, but a trait that I would look for if I was really actively doing it is, is kind of continuously getting things done. Um, and there are certainly bumps and pivots and things that, that, that come up. But the entrepreneurs that I love is that every time, if I see them every, even on a maybe couple months, yeah. it always seems like there's progress being made. Right. And, um, and there's certainly challenges in entrepreneurship, so it doesn't always have to be linear. And, but it's, or, or it's the ones that don't you know, come up with excuses, who are just continuing to grind, and, yeah. because it's going to be hard, right? It's if, consistency. If, if, you're, if you're wasting energy making up excuses, it, exactly, it's consistency. So you, and, when it comes to angel investing, this is going beyond my own view. This is more of what I've seen from from our investors. It's really what you're doing is you're entrusting someone to deliver on a plan, mm-hmm. right? They're not necessarily talking about going all the way to an exit, right? That's a very long view to be able to to take. But it's that you know you you and I don't know how you've covered kind of storytelling in your in your previous episodes with anyone, but obviously I think this is a, a very important piece within the is. You tell the story of this is where we started, this is where we are today. Yeah. Now we need some capital to get over here. Yeah, this is where we want to be. This is where we want to be. Here's how you're going to help us and, get there. And the more consistent, and if that, if the story behind it, it makes kind of clear sense. Yeah. It's very easy. And if also if you've been engaging with them previously, okay. then it becomes, that story becomes much more believable. Mm-hmm. So then when you look forward, you know that there will be, and again, it doesn't have to be a straight line, it will go up and down, but you know that they will do what they can uh, as a team of entrepreneurs to execute on, on what they're trying to do and that they will you know, spend your money wisely in delivering that and not you know, just wait for a bunch of money to be able to do something. They'll just continuously do that. So I think that's the trait that I find most interesting is the ones that are consistently delivering not really coming up with excuses and and you know stuff happens all the time like yeah. they're like you know there's all kinds of stories as well of like the company was this close to closing a deal and with a with a you know huge multinational but then the ceo got kicked out or the, this person got fired and then the whole thing fell through and the company just completely so like the the number of you know very unfortunate things that have happened but the the people who still continue to grind through and execute and and continuously deliver something yeah. are the ones that you can entrust so much more easily yeah. with uh, with the funding to at least get it somewhere. 
And again, it doesn't always end up being this kind of unicorn outcome, yep. but you know that they will continue to make progress. Right. I think that applies to so many things in life, right? Yeah. Showing up constantly, no matter the things that you know might be outside of your control, might even be in your control. Things happen, like we're imperfect, we all have stories, and as you talk about you know, storytelling, there's so, like, you hear these stories of people who've overcome such insane adversity and do amazing things with their life. But then you hear the same story of somebody not being able to overcome that adversity and not be able to show up, not be able to do the things that it takes uh, to move forward in whatever area of life. And so I think that's that's a really interest that's a really important lesson like beyond entrepreneurship it's it's sports it's you know relationships it's it's everything you can apply that to everything so thank you for sharing that 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 that's awesome i like that a lot um what's a what's a success story that you would like to tell or are able to tell of one of the companies you've worked with um so again, probably one that I, and, and you've actually had a few of the guests from, from a few of the different companies. Um, well, so I think a company called Rewind, and Alamin was actually the one who, who made the, the intro. They're, they're doing very well for themselves. Uh, so what they do is they provide backups for uh, all kinds of small business apps, particularly Shopify stores, yep. but also QuickBooks and, and a few other um, software tools and they continue to have success and i think it's the the culture that that mike the ceo himself has built yeah. um it's very you know it's not the sexiest company in the world it's not the coolest product in the world <laughs> i know when alan right? talks to me about it it's kind of funny it's it, like it's like almost like an insurance thing it's right like, it is an insurance <laughs> it's insurance for your for but your e-com store yeah, right, right for your e-com store for for many businesses yeah. are is their most important asset right there, there was a bunch of hype this week around the the gymshark team right yep. this guy was this is an e right, right? Yeah. hit a billion dollar valuation that's an e-commerce company yeah. Yeah. through and through yep. right so securing that most important asset is an is an increasingly important piece yeah but um mike the ceo is just he's much more low-key than than most entrepreneurs you won't see him in the press releases or the hype he doesn't talk but they don't they don't talk much about themselves they just continuously execute right and i think that that culture is is built from the top down yeah um and that's those are the people they've they've hired and they they continue to execute on uh on, on what they're doing. And going back to my point before is that, you know, whether anyone was looking or not, they were getting stuff done. Even during the whole pandemic. Right, right. And, and, well, and to be fair to the pandemic, I think e-commerce has moved, you know, <laughs> it, it it's up, gone yeah. from, so it, it, it's moved more in the last three months than it has in the last 10 but, years or something. But even, yeah, yeah but, but prior to the pandemic too, they continued to yeah. execute and, and work hard and, and not be too showy in it. And that's a very, I'll call it Ottawa's a boring city. Like, Rewind's not the most exciting type of company, but it's it's getting the job done. It's right. working hard, and um, and that's one that also too for a, for a period of time, um, it did not take a lot of investment. And and I think Mike even they had a thousand customers already before he actually quit his job. Okay. Or something along those lines that I'd have to to go back and confirm that. But it it just shows that they were really. You know, going to this in a in a in a calm way and not yeah. trying to, you know, force anything. Force yeah. anything. Exactly. Yeah, Actually, yeah. That's, yeah, that's perfect. Force yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, 
so that's that's one that I that I do like. Um, you had Corey from the Groceron, so that's a completely oh, different yeah. type of company. Oh, I man. worked with them more at, at Startup Garage. This has been a long grind. Like they they had okay. and they you can talk about stuff going wrong. They had <laughs> I, I, what was it? You know, one of their um, first containers? yeah yeah, yeah. one of the shipping containers was supposed to go to Churchill, Manitoba, mm -hmm. right? And there's only one railway to that town and like, you know, story. right? I'm sure he shared it with you, but, and it was flooded. So it was like their one, I think it wasn't their first sale, but it was one of their early sales was completely delayed by months because of this natural disaster that was completely out of their control. Yep. And even more impressively, Corey and Alita were still in school for the first three years of building the company. And and no one would kind of forget, like no no one would have thought that. They, they were engaged. Um, whereas I go back to my undergrad and it's like, there's no way I could have started a business. And I think that was a bit of uh, going back to where I respect the entrepreneurs is thinking of my own undergrad of like, these guys are crazy. These guys are like, they're starting a company. They're not even in like sneaking out of fourth year. They're still completely well, to add to that, he was also the president of Enactus at the time. Right. Of so, course. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, on top of that, and I just remember, you know, and I'll know these side of things a little bit more because I'm good friends with Corey, but we'd be deadbeats in that little office, just like, man, I got this project due or this assignment due. It's like not down at all. Right. And he'd have his, for whatever reason, he has a MacBook, but his keyboard stopped working. So he'd have this keyboard, like the Apple keyboard right. that you buy. On top, on top of, of, oh yes, of, I think I remember seeing that too. I, yeah. I just always remember like clowning him for that. And, but it was, he's just like, dude, like, I just got to get it done. I, I, like I'm working, I'm, I'm basically full-time working for an actress, building this thing and full-time in school. Yeah. And I was like, man, dude, you're going to go so far that I'm never going to forget this keyboard. Right, and, and, <laughs> and again, too, also, like, they, I'd say both Corey and Alita yeah, would Alita never. Yeah, Alita, too. Would, like, but they weren't phased by it. Nope, they right? just handled it. Right, I, I would have been, I been a, a nervous yeah. wreck. I would have been so annoyed. Like, I, no one would have enjoyed being engaged with me right. if I had that much on my plate. Right. And... And I don't know if that's just that's just how they are. And, and again, that culture, that that kind of relaxed culture, or you know, relax is the wrong word, but it, but just calm, calm demeanor, yeah, is so is actually more critical to entrepreneurship than you know than than anyone I think realizes. People think it's all about hype and you know taking over the world, but because you know things will go wrong, right? Things like a natural disaster interrupting a major sale, yeah that you've just got to be ready for it and if you're not in a place where you you're calm and can manage it then um then it's not going to like then the company's not going to succeed or your employees aren't going to work well for you if they're they're stressed that way about things i think a big thing there is being able to manage stress and manage the things that are inevitably going to break and be on fire and go wrong and this is something that i can't like talk about myself in that like those guys level at all, all these people who've done amazing, incredible things, built crazy companies. But what I'm learning just day to day trying to build this thing is just being able to step out of the situation and almost like view it from a, like a third person view right. and almost remove your emotions from something because we all have emotions. We're never going to stop having emotions, but just like, all right, well, like what's really happening in here and how can I deal with this? Right. How can I best deal with what's going on here? And it's, it's a skill that's very tough. Yeah. We're, not, we're not like taught how to do that. It's something that you have to almost teach yourself through 
And that's like, I learned this from people. And this is why I love chatting with people like yourself and having people on the podcast who I know have been able to figure that out. Yeah. And, and figure that kind of side of things out where it's like, I can remove myself from a situation and just figure out how objectively are we going to get this done. Yeah. Anyways, I, I know it's kind of raining a little hard out here. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap this up shortly. Yeah. I have a few more questions for you. I don't mind getting a little wet, yeah. but I hope you're Doing okay. Doing okay. Yeah. I think the phone's nicely in the pocket, yeah. Yeah. so we're good. There you go. Um, w- one of the questions I wanted to ask uh, you know, for you is what, from some of these people uh, that you've seen and, and some of these leaders and, and uh, you know, founders, CEOs, investors, all these different types of people who are leaders in their field, what what do you think makes a good a great effective leader yeah that's uh i think it's knowing a lot of times knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know Mm. right um and understanding what to do yourself and what to delegate i think that's that's really it's kind of responsibility management and um and again it's still taking you know, ownership of, of things that go wrong. Right. I talked about kind of giving excuses or throwing team members on the, under the bus or, or things like that. It's, um, you know, obviously employees and things still have to take responsibility for certain things, but if you're a leader in an organization, um, you have to understand what needs your attention and, and what you can pass along and being, and yeah, being fairly self-aware that way. Great answer. Uh, one of the final questions I'll ask you before I wrap this up and we do our lightning round is what's next for Noah or Nolan, sorry, that's not the name. Nolan, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's next for Nolan? Uh, so again, I think just for now with Capital Angel Network, at least, you know, continuing to handle the challenges and the ups and downs with COVID. Yep. Um, making sure that we, our group continues to be active and, and there's a lot of talk at, that, at a high level, right? If, if angel funding gets depleted, you're destroying a generation of entrepreneurs. Right. Um, so I think that's, that's critical at this stage. Um, I again love the ecosystem that I'm that I'm a part of, and I want to continue contributing to it. Yep. Um, and there's a few different types of roles that uh, that still fit that thesis, right? right. I, you've talked. You asked the first question you asked me was kind of my mission. So there are a number of roles that could still uh, allow me to execute on that mission, uh, whether it's staying more on the the investment side, whether it is working within a company. Um, but I'd say I'm not. It's Given the number of companies I see, it's it's rare that I'm really really interested in one, okay. and and that I have to that I would have to narrow down and be a part of that. Yeah. Um, you still like the general? Yes, I would. I think I I've, and again I haven't even gone. I've I've thought about it a little bit. I've you know flirted with those ideas, but it's still something that I would really want to, uh, you know, I'd still have to love doing doing the everyday stuff for that very specific role depending on what that that company is doing um and uh or again being part of the ecosystem in in another way so yeah there's a there's a few that's that's sort of what's next but again continuing with my main thesis uh of of building and growing the city and and staying within the kind of innovation economy i think is is where i i I mean and i think that's like another like buzzword but something that is very real is your why like that sounds to me like that's the thing that keeps you centered and grounded and like whatever it is that i do in whatever capacity yeah it still relates to that so that that's really cool 
um i've, I've loved this podcast this has been awesome cool little scene uh, as well and are a little we, wetter than, yeah, than your we, than your other recording we, we've definitely been battling the elements today but the fact that we made this happen awesome um i'm, I'm gonna finish off with uh, uh two lightning round questions okay uh and then we'll be good to go so what is some of the worst advice you've uh, heard people giving young entrepreneurs out there? Uh, don't invest your equity. Okay. That's just terrible advice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Solid. Love it. Uh, and then the best advice uh, that you could give to 20-year-old Nolan. 20-year-old Nolan. Go find your community. Go Sooner. find your community. Yeah. Love it, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people uh, find out more about all the things that you're up to? Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn, Nolan Beanlance. I think I'm the only one out there. Uh, <laughs> Twitter, it's at Nolan Beanlance as well. Uh, Capital Angels, I think it's at uh, Capital Angel Network, but it's at Capital Angels on Twitter. Um, LinkedIn as well for those two. We're not much on, on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and capitalangels.ca is our, our website as well. Awesome. Make sure you connect with this guy. He's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Thanks the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Just remember, it's not that deep. <laughs>